Uh, turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 7 through 13 as we make our way through the gospel of Mark and the life of Jesus in this series we're calling Jesus is King. Mark chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. I'll read the whole thing. We'll read it together. Or you can follow along as I read it. And then uh, we'll make our way through this text. Mark chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. This is what the gospel writer Mark says. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that Jesus was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed so many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on a mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. This is the word of the Lord. Today, I want to talk to you about fans. Not ceiling fans, though. I want to talk to you more about sports fans, celebrity fans, cultural fans. Uh, this type of fan that I'm referring to is a person who has a strong interest or admiration in a person or a particular thing, a fan. And there are different levels of fandom. There's different levels of loyalty to uh, that particular thing. In fact, Robert Pasikov a while back developed what's called a fan loyalty index, which ranges from the very top, for example, the Chicago Cubs come at, at the top at uh, points, uh, at 132, to the very lowest in loyalty, which is apparently the Chicago White Sox at the bottom, scoring in at 73. He developed this index to show you that there's all sorts of fans, but there's a wide variety of loyalty to describe each of those fans. I want to talk about this because what we're seeing in the first section of this text in verse 7 and 8 are the fans of Jesus, where virtually everyone starts their journey with Jesus, is his fans. It says in verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. A great crowd heard all that Jesus was doing, and they came to him. I want you to see the scene that's being set forth here. We started all the way back from chapter 1, and up until this point, we've gotten to see the ministry of Jesus develop, and it started as this grassroots thing. It was just Jesus walking along as he got older, and as he uh, became, uh, came of age, he started to reach out to a disciple here or there. He'd call them to follow him. He'd be along the beaches of Capernaum. He'd be over in the fishing galleries but as he would display his power as king, as he'd heal the sick, as he'd cast out demons, as he'd merely speak in such a way that it was just vastly different from the scribes and other professional teachers of that day, he got pretty popular. 
And what we're seeing is the apex of his popularity. He's just getting more popular. Just to kind of give you a, an idea of what's happening. Galilee and Judea, uh, Galilee is about, if you're looking at a map of Israel, is up top, that's northern Israel. Judea and Jerusalem are down at the bottom. Jordan is off to the side, on the other side of the ocean. Idumea, though, is far south. We're talking about 120 miles away. If you want a picture of what that looks like, that's basically Disneyland Anaheim, okay? From where we are, that's about 122 miles away. This is how far people are coming to see Jesus. Now, they didn't have the 405 and a Toyota Prius to get there, right? We're talking about people making long-distance treks. They might have the fortune to have a donkey. Most of them are walking. They might even be running. But the point is Jesus is being Jesus, and the world is starting to see how glorious, how wonderful, how majestic he is, and he is growing in popularity. His fame is spreading Love reading this first verse because that's been my prayer. Some of your prayers, not just for the world, but for Santa Barbara, that Jesus' fame would spread in the city of Santa Barbara. There's a lot of things that are famous right now. The Royals, the stimulus check, the coronavirus. Some of us are praying that Jesus would be famous here on the coastlands that it is our deepest proclivity to attach ourselves to things that are bigger than us, whether it's trending news or whether it's huge events or bigger than life people. That's, that's the way the human heart was crafted and wired. And yet our capacity for that is bigger than what most people and things in the world can provide. Oh, that Jesus would step in on the scene and give us something truly to worship. Some of us in this church, we believe that if our attachments could be focused on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, our deep, insatiable search, our deep, insatiable thirst might find what it was created for. Oh, that Jesus' fame would spread in Santa Barbara between the Santa Ynez Mountains and the coastline, that people would find someone truly worth focusing on. Of course, that's just where our attention starts, is with fame. That's not where it should end. And fandom isn't the end goal of life. In fact, there are lots of problems that come with being a fan. For one, depending on what scale of fandom you're at, maybe you're a bandwagon fan, Fandom will not weather the storms that your team will face in life. It will not weather all the circumstances that you'll go through in life. Fandom has its problems. In fact, we see the same problem in the crowds. Look at verse 9 and 10 with me, where it says that Jesus told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd. Already he's wanting to pull away, not in, a, not in a, a, a separating type of way, but gosh, there's so many people to minister to. I need to hop on a boat so that I can speak to all of them. But notice that it says that the crowds are crushing him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around to touch him. That word crush comes from a word meaning to afflict. 
to mob, to trouble. It means even to throng. So I, I want you to see the picture of what's happening. Usually when you see a, a picture or a cartoon or a painting of Jesus ministering to the crowds, it's really cute. It's like Jesus sitting with his, you know, foot crossed and a sheep in one arm and maybe a crowd of like three people gently, you know, reclining on a rock as a kid watches with their hand tucked under their chin. This is not what we see in the Gospel of Mark. This is absolute chaos. This is a clamoring mob. And we see in the crowd a bit of a paradox. A crowd just like crowds today that are desperately needy, hurting, tired, worn out. And it needs, its needs command Jesus' attention and he is present to their needs. He's present to their misery and he heals so many of them. And yet we also see in that paradox that even though Jesus attends to their needs, their clamor is not necessarily a response of faith. It almost seems like to the crowds that Jesus is just some sort of magician. And you will find through Mark, through John, through Matthew, through Luke, the crowds collectively attracted to Jesus so long as he delivers on three things. Healing, great sermons, and the casting out of demons. He's like a magician. And they are wowed by him. They're amazed by him. They're fans in the truest sense because he is quite admirable. But they're not quite followers in the spiritual sense of the term. Oh, they are following him in proximity. But they're not followers in the sense of being called to something outside of themselves yet. Some of them will be, but not yet. They're fans, not followers. And in some sense, this is okay because this is where many of us have to start. I look out on this parking lot at people that I've known for a decade, some that I just met today, looking into that lens right there, or that lens, it's one of these lenses, people that I know at home, watching uh, from their computers, and the wide variety of spiritual journeys that all of us have taken on our journey to follow Jesus. Not all of us just woke up and decided, I'm gonna follow Jesus today. Some of us went through a lot. God brought us to the lowest lows. For some of us, it was an incredible, monumental, mountaintop experience. It's okay. This is where some of us start. We start as fans. To borrow from those sports analogies, there's different kinds of fans that really relates to our spirituality. There's the fanatic. People that are grossly obsessed with something for cultural reasons. This is what I think of when I think of the crowds. They just love him. They might not even get very close to him, but he's like a superstar. And as long as he does superstar things, they will be happy. There's the bandwagon fan. The bandwagon fan likes the team and likes the person as long as the person keeps winning. And as long as Jesus pumps out great sayings and one-liners, 
and casts out demons and heals the sick and does the cool thing with the bread for 5,000 people and doesn't do anything weird like die on a cross, the crowds will be there with him. There's the grandfather fan. I grew up as a Los Angeles Laker fan, but I, am, I grew up very close to San Francisco. For geographic reasons, I should have been a Warriors fan, but my dad was a Lakers fan, so I was grandfathered into that. In the same way, I think of James, the half-brother of Jesus, who would, in John chapter 7, leave Jesus because he started saying weird things, but started off as, well, maybe, maybe my brother has a few good things to say. Or perhaps John the Baptist, older cousin of Jesus, who in prison would send messengers to Jesus saying, are you the one that we were expecting or should we be looking for another? He was in prison. Things weren't working out the way that he thought. And then finally, we have disillusioned fans, people who started off strong, but now they're over it. I think of Judas Iscariot who I imagine in those early years really thought Jesus was something. But the more he hung out with Jesus, the more he got disappointed and disillusioned. And maybe that's how some of us feel today. You might be in it for cultural reasons. You might be in it because you feel like you're winning. You might be in it because your parents were in it. Or you might be on the verge of being over it because you've been so disappointed, so tired, so beat up. And the first thing that I want to say to you is that it's okay because most of Jesus' disciples were in some of these categories. And that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He's gracious. He meets us right where we're at. Even Judas, he washed his feet knowing that Judas was going to leave him. He still had him over for dinner and washed his feet. Jesus always meets us where we're at. He loves you and he understands what you're going through right now. But here's the other thing about Jesus that I hope we grow to love. He meets us where we're at, but he never leaves us where we're at. He always calls us to something deeper. He always calls us to something deeper than mere fandom. Again, a fan is just a person who has a strong interest in or admiration for a particular person or thing. And that sounds great on the onset. I'm a fan of many things. But I want you to compare this definition with this next statement that describes the unclean spirits, demons. You'll notice that they're quite similar. It says in verse 11, whenever the unclean spirits saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Now, before we dive into this, just to answer the question that some of you might be asking, why does Jesus always strictly order demons and people that he heals to not talk about him? Well, you're going to find through the Gospel of Mark that Jesus was very secretive. 
Most likely because in the tinderbox of first century Palestine and Israel, the open acknowledgement by Jesus of his messiahship, of his sonship, could have easily been misunderstood. Fans tend to misunderstand a lot of things. And they probably would have misunderstood this as a revolutionary cry. Yes! Not only is Jesus going to feed us and give us great sermons and heal our sick and do stuff for us and wow our children, but he's also going to sack Rome and bring our nation to the pinnacles of cultural and political power. Yes! Everything we've ever wanted. Our problems solved right now and on our terms. That's why he tends to be quiet and call other people to be quiet. It's because he's after something deeper. But I also want you to see a parallel. That the crowds and the demons have a fairly similar reaction to Jesus. Wow. Now the crowds are pressing around him, crushing him. The demons... Notice that they fall down before him. You might even argue that their admiration is a step higher than the crowds, for they know who they're dealing with. In fact, uh, the half-brother of Jesus and the apostle James would later go on to say that exact same thing. James chapter 2, verse 19, he's saying, hey, you all think, in other words, you think that you're amazing because you believe in God. That's nothing, to paraphrase. He says, you believe that God is one. Good job. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. It's almost like James is saying, it's not enough to just believe that God exists or to be wowed by him. Even the demons believe that, and they're also a step ahead of you. They shudder because they know who they're dealing with. You don't even shudder, speaking to the crowds. You're just amazed. Your ears are tickled. In other words, it's not enough to believe that God exists or even to be amazed by God. That's mere fandom, and we see that in the crowds. In some sense, we even see it in demons. What's similar to both, that there's no commitment beyond what's self-serving in the moment. One fan, the crowds, want to get something from Jesus, and the other fan... The unclean spirits want to get away from Jesus. They're not too dissimilar in that regard. And both lack the kind of faith in Christ that moves beyond self-serving motives. Now, while there is no hope for demons and unclean spirits, Jesus always wants to give people something deeper to jump into to move people from the crowds into personal, collective relationship with him, to turn fans into followers. Look at verse 13. It says, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. I just love, absolutely love with all of my heart that simple phrase, seven words. And he called to him those whom he desired. loves you. He loves people in the crowd before they even realize who he is or what he came to do. He loved you, as John would say, before you ever loved him. He loved you before your heart was right. He loved you before your motives were pure. 
He loved you before you had your life together. He loved you with a pure, unadulterated, godly love. And he calls out of the crowd people that he desires. And they come to him. Jesus calls followers over fans. I love this visual representation in this text because it starts off with Jesus withdrawing with his disciples to the sea in verse 7. And then in verse 13, it shows him going up to the mountain calling disciples because he desires them. I love this visual representation because it's so like the process of our spirituality. It's so like life in Christ. From the lowest lows to the highest highs, he's calling not just fans in good times, he's calling fans through a journey with him to become followers and to follow him. I love this visual representation from the sea to the mountain because being a follower of Jesus is so much like a journey you take with someone that you love beyond the circumstances, beyond the admiration, beyond the externals, because you see something in that person that transcends all of those things. What we see in this passage is that Jesus isn't holding a popularity contest for himself. He's looking for people who want change. And I would specify who are willing to give up their own terms in order to be changed. He's looking for followers over fans. Now we sometimes start off as fans. And as I said a few minutes ago, that's okay. The disciples did too. But Jesus is calling us all deeper. He's calling you deeper to something more. To move from whatever stage you are in your spiritual journey to something more. You might be a bandwagon fan. That's okay. He's calling you to something deeper. You might be a seasoned veteran of the faith that loves God. That's awesome. He's also calling you to something even deeper. You might experience his love, the love of the Father in your family and in your church community. That's awesome. He's calling you to deeper waves of his love. You might be disillusioned. That's okay. A lot of us are. And Jesus isn't afraid of your disillusion. He's calling you to something deeper. And he might even use your disillusion to shower you with deeper waves of his love than you've ever experienced before. Whatever the case may be, he's calling you to something deeper. Ultimately, a fan just wants to watch a good game, but a follower wants to become. Fans want to watch, a follower wants to become. Fans are okay with observation, a follower wants transformation. And this is what the entire Bible continually testifies to. It was in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, that Jesus invited his followers to follow him, would-be followers. Normally, it was the custom of students to go up to a rabbi and request that they would follow him to learn what it means to follow the Torah. Jesus changed all of that. He made the invitation, follow me. 
and I will make you fishers of people. I will turn you into the thing that I've designed and foresaw you to be. I will transform you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is not a mere observation. Romans 12, verse 2, therefore, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what the prophet Ezekiel told us would happen. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul said, we, with, uh, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. And for those of you that have lost your way, that feel like God has given up on you, that feel like others have given up on you, that feel like you're giving up on yourself, Jesus says, I'm sure of this. Paul says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Fans are satisfied with observation. Followers want transformation. And Jesus came into this world for transformation. He would go on not just to teach sermons and heal the sick and cast out a couple demons, but he would hoist himself on the cross, die for the sins of the world, die for the conquering of sin, death, the devil, and the grave, and rise triumphantly as proof and evidence that he is the king of the universe. And that anyone who follows him are not following him for mere information transfer or data dumps, but real transformation of the heart and life. I don't know about you, but I want that. And whatever deeper looks like for me, I want that. Whatever deeper looks like for you in this stage of your life, I want that for you. I'm going to ask uh, Moses and Colette and the rest of the team to come up as we respond to the king through song and prayer and worship. And as we do, I want you to consider this question that perhaps some of you are asking. Okay, I am a fan, or I have been a fan, or maybe I was a follower, or maybe I was this, but right now I, I want to go deeper. What does that look like? And brothers and sisters, it's never changed. It means, as the Apostle John would tell us, to abide. What does abiding mean? It's, it's just simply making those conscious daily decisions to receive Christ's love. Perhaps you're doing it right now, this evening, tomorrow morning, daily, small, conscious decisions to receive Christ's love over the lives of the world. Abiding. It also means obeying. 
being changed on his terms, not just yours. What does that mean, just to obey? It means making conscious daily decisions to yield to the will of Jesus Christ. And of course, it involves faith. When we're doing all of the right religious stuff and nothing is working out, it means trusting in him when things do not go according to plan. And that's the difference between a follower and a fan. Someone like Judas Iscariot just couldn't overcome the doubt. Couldn't trust that Christ loved them enough to believe in the plan, even though it didn't make sense in the moment. But this is what we do. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, this is what Jesus is calling us to do to move from wherever we were before to abiding, making daily decisions to receive Jesus' love, obeying, making conscious decisions to yield to the will of Jesus and trusting him when things just don't go according to our plan. Because we understand over and above our plans, which half the time don't work out anyway, we serve a king who doesn't have a plan B. And he's not thwarted by the same things that you're thwarted by. He's not disappointed by the same things that you're disappointed by. He's not disillusioned. He's not broken. He's not tired. He's not worn out. He's in control and he's in power. And yet because he empathizes with your weaknesses, he can step down into all of those things and wrap an arm around you and say, Take a step with me. Receiving Christ's love, yielding to Christ's will, trusting him when things do not go according to plan. And as we do that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he takes us deeper and deeper and deeper. I want to invite you to go deeper, whatever that might look like for you as we respond in worship. And as the worship team and the lyric page gives us words that maybe we were unable to formulate ourselves because we're going through so much to be able to be given those words like prayers that we can offer back to Jesus and to create that space for the God who loves you so much to work in your life in a powerful level exactly where you need it right now Let's approach the throne room of grace and find mercy in our time of need. He will always be there, present with you when you ask for it.